Once upon a time, two college roommates decided to take a trip over Easter break. These two young Americans were already enjoying a wonderful opportunity. They were spending a semester overseas at a university in England. And as it happened, one of these guys had a sister who was living and studying in Lisbon, Portugal at the time. So naturally, when Easter break rolled around, these two guys took the opportunity to visit. The only complication was that the roommate without the, without the sister had a prior commitment that conflicted with the start of the trip. But they had a plan in place. The brother would go on ahead to Lisbon and spend the first day with his sister and her host family. The roommate would fly later that day to a different Portuguese city, take the train down to Lisbon, and get picked up at the train station that evening. No problem at all until my flight was delayed. <laughs> when I landed in Portugal and ran to the train platform, I learned that the last train for Lisbon had just left. However, the clerk said that there was a bus platform, just a, a bus station just a few blocks away, and that if I hurried, I could still make the bus that I needed. Now, as I hustled along, the ancient cobblestone streets with two backpacks on, one on my back and one on my front. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried that? It's a terrible idea. <laughs> There's this beautiful sunset that's unfolding in front of me. And as I turned a corner, that sunset light fell on the front of a bus with the word I wanted to see in lights across the top. Lisboa. I was saved. Three hours and 300 kilometers later, when that bus rolled to a stop in Lisbon, it arrived right on time, right where it needed to be. And yet, as the other passengers were picked up by friends and family, and the sound of their cars faded away around dark city corners, and the doors of the bus station were closed and locked behind me, and the lights were shut off, I quietly began to realize that I was not okay. I was alone, in the dead of night, on the sidewalk of a city I had never seen before, whose primary language I did not speak, with a mobile phone that didn't work outside of England. Meanwhile, my friends were wondering why I hadn't shown up hours before at the train station in another part of the city. Now, in reality, that bus ride across Portugal in the dark had accomplished exactly what was needed. And in time, I came to realize that. But in that moment, I was completely disoriented. I felt more lost than I ever had in my life. Before we go any further, let me ask you, how is your resurrection season going? I have to confess that as I wandered the dark, silent streets of Lisbon that night, I was not actually pondering the post-resurrection narratives of the Gospel of John. <laughs> but in hindsight, I think I had Peter and his friends for company. As we approach our Gospel text for today, we must remember that Peter and his companions have very recently watched someone they deeply love die in one of the most painful 
and humiliating ways that the Roman Empire could devise. Add to the brutality and death the ultimate expectations that appeared dashed on the rocks of Golgotha. In the words of the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Even now, on the other side of the resurrection, when the disciples have made it to the point of believing that this thing has actually happened, Jesus still does not appear to be the conquering hero kind of Messiah that they had expected. Perhaps even his familiar patience, humility, and vulnerability are unsettling to them. When we imagine ourselves into the shoes of the women and men who walked with Jesus, we can feel how complicated, how messy the resurrection must have been. And Peter, in addition to wrestling with all that has happened around him, Peter is carrying the weight of his own triple betrayal of Jesus. I don't even know the man must still be ringing in his ears. Between all that's happened to him and all that he has done, Peter has found himself back in darkness and chaos, even after Easter morning has dawned. It is fitting that this story begins with Peter heading back out onto the sea. We know that the sea is a character in the story of God and God's people, and that the character of the sea is chaotic, dangerous, paralyzingly powerful. If you have ever been out on the sea past the breakers in a kayak, even on a calm day, you have experienced this up close. The sea is untamable. For us, anyway. I wonder if you have a favorite of the sea stories. From creation to new creation and over and over in between, the teaching of Scripture is that the Lord is the one who has power over the forces of chaos in the world. Ultimate creative power to bring order out of any chaos and light into any darkness. Someone should write a book on this topic, don't you think? (laughs) Maybe the simplest and the most striking images of God's mastery of this vast and terrifying symbol of chaos are given in the Psalms. The one that Lauren read this morning testifies to this truth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in storehouses. Psalm 104 says it this way, you set the beams of your chambers on the waters. The image here is of such command over the restless tossing sea that God can build on it as a foundation. Sisters and brothers, our God walks on the sea. And our God raises the dead. He brings order out of even that chaos and light into even that darkness. The God who specializes in these mighty acts of recreation also invites into relationship those he has set in order and brought into the light. Ultimately, this is why we have come to seminary, isn't it? To, <clears throat> excuse me, to participate in the creative work of God's resurrection life. And maybe, just for a moment, maybe we dared to hope that coming to seminary would be like coming in out of the wind. Like a stop in Rivendell for all my drinklings, I mean, inklings fans <laughs> out there. But instead of a hidden space, 
Instead of a shielded space, we have found that the winds of the world still blow through Wilmore. And that, in fact, seminary life kicks up some waves of its own, doesn't it? I don't know how your resurrection season is going, but I'll name just a few of the winds and waves that I know. Some of us are fighting back despair every day in the face of all the violence in the world. Some of us are wrestling with God over calling, over identity, over who we are and what we are made for, unwilling to let go until we have received a name and a blessing. Some of us have become disillusioned with the church or with one expression of it and are questioning much of what we have known our whole lives. Some of us have been rocked by a sudden change while others have been waiting for years for mental or physical healing. The list could go on and on and on. But for most of us, it's not just one thing, is it? And these winds that blow and waves that rise around us threaten to disrupt our relationships with each other and with God. On this side of Good Friday and Easter morning, friends, we believe that it is finished, but we feel deeply that not everything has yet been restored. At the risk of saying the quiet part out loud, we live all our lives in resurrection season, don't we? For now, we see only a dim reflection, but one day we will see face to face. For now, we know in part, but one day we will know fully, even as we are fully known. On that day, all things will be made new, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. But for now, we still have dark days even though the dawn came long ago. Friends, this season after Easter is an opportunity to get to know the resurrection again. To allow the light of the resurrection to shine into the darkest places within us and around us. To acknowledge that in Christ there is space for joy and sorrow to exist alongside one another, even mingled together. This is a time to be invited back into order back into light, back into relationship, back to life. So again, how is your resurrection season going? Let's turn now to our gospel text and see how Jesus met Peter and the others as they came in from a fruitless night on the waves. Open it up with me if you can. Don't be shy about using your phone. We know you are definitely not scrolling Instagram. Before we get into the action here, we have to pay attention to the heading that the author has given us. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. John says it twice, just to make sure we get it. This is a revelation story. It shouldn't surprise us that John focuses on revelation, because throughout his gospel account, John has consistently pointed out the ways in which Jesus, perfect God and perfect man, is making known the character of God and of his kingdom, which has come near. Once again, in this story, we will see Jesus come to find and restore his people and to show who he is in the process. Notice the way Jesus' first action in this scene is described. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. Jesus stood. 
The author doesn't say Jesus went looking for his disciples. He doesn't even say Jesus found Peter and his disciples. He says Jesus stood on the beach. We're not told how long he has been waiting for Peter's boat to come into view, but the image is one of peace and patience. As the sun rises, Jesus is revealed as a figure standing on the beach at the end of the disciples' fruitless night on the sea. He knows where they are, and he stands near them. Next, this stranger on the beach asks the fishermen a question. A moment later, he invites them to participate in the provision that they were not able to accomplish on their own all night long. Notice that Jesus doesn't do it all for them. He doesn't speak a word and immediately fill the boat with fish. He also doesn't force them. And he doesn't rush them. Instead, he patiently invites them to participate in what only he can do. When they do come ashore, with some difficulty because of the overwhelming scale of the provision, they find that Jesus has already set a table for them in the place that he has invited them to. Let's not miss that in this story, Jesus provides for Peter and his friends even while they are still in chaos. Brothers and sisters, the hope of resurrection life is not only for the removal of chaos, uncertainty, and pain from our lives, but for God's provision in the midst of it. I wonder what testimonies you all have of God's provision right in the midst of difficult, chaotic times, perhaps coming from unexpected directions. Notice, too, that it is as Jesus provides for his disciples that they first recognize him. It's not Jesus' silhouette away on the beach. It's not his walk. It's not his face. It's not even his voice in which these seven disciples recognize their Lord. No, Jesus is recognized through the provision that only he could make. Now when Peter realizes that it's Jesus who has found him, his response is, well, it's memorable, isn't it? In the Gospel accounts, we have this story of the miraculous catch of fish in two places. And it's placed by the two evangelists at opposite ends of Peter's experience walking with Jesus. The first rendition is in Luke's account, and he tells it at Peter's initial calling in Luke chapter 5. In Luke's telling, Peter's first reaction to God's nearness is to be horrified by his own condition. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In Isaiah's words, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. Unexpectedly faced with the holiness of God, Peter, like Isaiah, is first concerned about himself. But notice the difference here in John's telling. Perhaps by this time, Peter has learned that when God himself comes to find you, the important thing is not your own condition, but the presence, the holy love, the invitation of God who has come. Even in chaos, still living in the memory of his own betrayal of his Lord, Peter has the good sense to respond in a way that looks completely ridiculous to us. He jumps out of a perfectly good boat, and he swims to Jesus. May we all learn Peter's foolishness, friends, 
May we learn, instead of pausing to consider our own condition, to find the quickest way to Jesus. Now, I learned in class that it's bad form to begin a sermon with a story and end that sermon without telling the ending. So I will break the tension and tell you that I am not still lost in Portugal. (laughs) I will also tell you that as I systematically tried all of Lisbon's broken payphones, the Lord provided a live connection on the third or fourth one when I was down to my last coin and gave me just enough time to say, uh, I see a tall hotel over there. It's all lit up. I'm going to go stand in front of it. Come find me. (laughs) True story. But friends, I will never forget the welcome and the meal, the table that was set and waiting for me when I came in out of the dark that night. I could tell you what was on the table. Looking at the flow of the last chapters of John's Gospel, the positioning of our story today seems a little strange. The heading of this narrative comes just after a summary statement that sounds an awful lot like the author has just wrapped up the last of the narrative. Here's how it runs in context, beginning with the last two verses of of chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, regardless of the exact process that yielded this order of the text, this stop-and-start flow can serve as a reminder to us today that there is always one more story to add of an encounter with the risen Jesus. So let me ask you one more time. How is your resurrection season going? If all is well with your soul today, then praise God. But if your resurrection season is a little more complicated, a little bit messier. He's already standing on the beach, friends. He will provide for you in the midst. He will call you out of chaos. He has already set a table for you. And if the boat is too slow for you this morning and you need to jump out and swim to Jesus, you're in good company. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.